welcome to Through New Eyes, Reimagining History, a podcasting mentoring project created by members of the History Graduate Student Association from the Department of History and Philosophy at Southern Illinois University. These works are entirely student-produced. Thank you for listening to today's episode. This episode is presented by four undergraduate students here at Southern Illinois University. Their names are Ollie Crater, Francesca Burkett, Lindsey Craig, and Ryan Jurek, and they present on the impact of American summer camps. From Camp Firewood to Camp Crystal Lake, varied depictions of American summer camp and media have a prolific history. Countless movies and television shows have attempted to capture the specific energy they evoke, not only to the people who have attended, but also to those who have not. When did the fascination with summer camps begin? Why have they remained a present in the American consciousness? These are some of the questions we'll explore over the course of this podcast. Hi, I'm Ollie, and this is Francesca. And this is Cabin Walls and Bugle Calls, the history and impact of American summer camps. The history of summer camps begins in the late 19th century with the creation of the Fresh Air Fund, or the FAF. The FAF was designed largely by Reverend William Parsons in an effort to combat a perceived loss of American values. Advocates of the FAF believe that the rapid spread of urbanization was contributing to this loss. They longed for the simplicity, hard work, and freedom of the old American frontier and believed that with the FAF, they could recreate some of its experience specifically for urban children. The goal, according to Parsons, was to provide a socially healthier alternative to the city, away from poverty, strikes, and riots. As industrialism and urbanization began to grow more rapidly, and many Americans began to doubt their benefits, they turned to the fantasies of a simple agrarian life, away from the burdens of an urban one. These fantasies, plus a desire to understand how children would socialize, away from more typical structures, led to a boom in the number of camps in the United States. At the turn of the 20th century, there had been fewer than 100 summer camps in the United States, and by 1918, there were over a thousand. Why was there this expansion, Francesca? This expansion was possible due in part to new laws restricting child labor and mandating school attendance. The implementation of these laws shifted American social conventions, making childhood a precious and protected life phase in the eyes of the American public. Camps were seen as a temporary escape from modern life, a way for children to be removed from social limitations placed on them by the regular months of the year, thus helping to preserve the sanctity of childhood. Though at the end of the 19th century, the aim of camps was to provide a vacation of sorts for mostly white, middle and upper class Protestant boys. Over the first several decades of the 20th century, they went into more demographics including girls, immigrants, other religious groups, and ethnic minorities, and the American values at the core of camp life were used to assimilate immigrant children into American culture. However, Despite summer camps having a similar goal, there was no universal standard of operation, and because they developed so quickly, they had been excluded from any type of legislative reform. It was not until 1924 that summer camps were targeted with reforms for the care of children that were designed by the Children's Welfare Federation. Well, the real catalyst for a more universal summer experience was the desire in the years after both world wars to create a more regimented and militaristic experience. Parents began to expect discipline from their children's camp, regardless of whether it was practiced at home. Many directors also added activities to aid in war efforts, like growing victory gardens. This is part of the reason why bugle calls are always associated with summer camps and Boy Scouts. It kind of goes hand in hand. 
In post-war years, summer camps again experienced a population boom due to changes in the economy as well as the rise in rural land values. One source stated that one in every six American children was attending summer camp. With this surge, yet again, structures within camp began to change with a new focus on outdoor education. These wilderness education programs were designed to provide new information to students, but were also used as rehabilitation for psychiatric patients and delinquents. Today, the American Camp Association estimates over 11 million camp attendees every year. Many people who attend camp attend for years and eventually become counselors when they have aged out of traditional camp attendance. That's you, Ollie, isn't it? Yeah, that is me. Why are camps so popular? Why have they continued to keep people coming back for years? These answers can be found in the evolution of summer camps from beginning to end. Summer camps began as a temporary reprieve from the pressure of everyday urban life. They were intentionally designed to be a brief escape, and this intention developed along with the camps throughout the years. Early camp advocates believed that placing children in environments where they were free to socialize as they pleased would help them develop more well-rounded personalities and thus contribute more to society. At the turn of the 20th century, as camps began to broaden the demographic of the children they served, they were able to provide health care that was inaccessible to children from the city. They also saw themselves as providing constructive and meaningful ways to socialize that prevented children from relieving boredom by resorting to what was considered deviant activity. The temporary reprieve of summer camp was expanded on during war years. Advocates argued that camp provided a safe space for children to process and escape from the unsettling nature of war. Where were we? We were at this quote from a 1942 bulletin by the ACA, or the American Camp Association, which stated, Summer camps tucked away in the hills are not only havens of physical safety, but the normal happy life of these campers is the best antidote yet discovered. This wartime focus on safeguarding the mental state of children ushered in a new era of the American summer camp with more focus on children's psychology. Children's psychologists William Morris and Fritz Ruddle observed in post-war years that summer camps themselves were not at all natural but rather created an environment in the woods that needed particular guidance in order for children to grow. This idea of growth for children was not limited to just people within the summer camp system. In an article published in 1957, teacher Luis Revska argued that hands-on experiences in nature that children receive in summer camps is far more enriching than any they could do in a classroom or even field trips to zoos or museums. In addition, they also created more meaningful connections between the children themselves. Despite the staying power of summer camps in American consciousness, there is a marked lack of research on the psychology associated with them today. However, there is some documented evidence of the positive impact of outdoor education. The theory of outdoor education is centered around the idea that more complex learning in natural environments contributes to both physical and emotional well-being in children. Its focus on personal growth allowed for more development in children than seen in traditional classroom models. Many people who have attended summer camps base their love of the institution on the idea that it was an escape for them. One attendee, i.e. myself, was quoted as saying, at summer camp, there's a safe space for children to thrive because there aren't any outside pressures like parents or teachers to influence their emotions. So it's much easier for them to explore their creativity and their identity. Perhaps this exploration of identity is why summer camps have had such an incredible staying power in American consciousness. Many children have no reprieve from the stress and pressures placed on them by society. So a place where, for a few weeks, they can explore themselves free from the influence of any adults impacts them in an incredible way. Summer camps have remained a sanctuary for children for over a hundred years and, judging by this impact, will likely continue to do so for a hundred more.
Cabin Walls and Bugle Calls is a student-produced podcast at Southern Illinois University. The hosts are Ollie Crater and Francesca Burkett. The script was written by Lindsay Craig and sound editing done by Ryan Jurek. Research done by Ollie Crater. Hello and welcome back. Um, so I'm actually here today with uh, Lindsay Craig. Lindsay actually helped write the script and helped work on this podcast episode that you have just listened to. So um, ironically enough, the episode, of course, is about summer camps and the writer of the paper and uh, the, one of the main people who recorded the podcast, Ollie, uh, she is actually at a summer camp until um, sometime in August. So we have uh, Lindsay Craig here with us. Uh, Lindsay is another wonderful, talented undergraduate here at Southern Illinois University working. Oh, you are graduated. That's right. Okay. A, a, a official graduate now. And if I'm correct, soon to be a graduate student. Yes. In the fall. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about this. So, you know, it's a little different not actually having Ollie here, but what was the process of converting Ollie's research into, you know, a script? And then, you know, how, how do you, how'd you format that? Um, so the thing about the paper, um, it was really great, uh, but the problem with it is, is that it was it's an academic paper. So what you needed to do, or what I needed to do with it, was to sort of take it and translate it into more of a conversational tone. Um, podcasts, I think, really the whole point of them, especially for me, is that they're accessible, and uh, academic language can tend to be really inaccessible or inaccessible for people. So I wanted to make it sound more like you and I talking or two people talking um because I didn't record it um versus someone talking at another person and I really liked that Francesca and Ollie like switched on and off speaking and I had broken when I wrote it I broke it down into little bite-sized paragraphs for that specific reason so what I wanted was to leave some space in between them so that they could just naturally have questions or comments in between times and it ended up working out really well with um the way that they spoke to each other after someone finished a, a paragraph one of them would chime in like oh what's this about mostly francesca because it was ollie's research the hardest part of the whole script writing process was was taking the information that was really great in a 15 page paper and making it a shorter podcast because you have mm -hmm. to decide what to take and what to leave out, but you don't want to leave out anything important. And it was harder as well, not being as familiar with the research. And so it wasn't my own. Um, but I think that we managed to do it. Ollie was happy with the finished project. So um, I think that it ended up working out okay. Right, right. And that, that's definitely a, a difficult concept to take someone's work, um, especially Ollie, um, actually both Lindsay and Ollie, um, I was their TAs for uh, the class that they, they wrote. Um, papers that both of them are actually getting published. Um, so I'm very proud of that fact. But, um, you know, obviously it's, it's, a, it's a task to convert some, someone's research into, you know, a 15 to you know, 30 minute dialogue, um, especially one that, that's not going to be like some sort of audio book or, or, or like a hour and a half narration slash documentary. Um, you know, so what was it like in converting some of the more like technical points of the paper into, you know, that script? Um, it was kind of hard. Uh, luckily for me, I have a background in English a little bit. Um, 
before I switched to history, I actually used to be an English major and I was in AP English classes all throughout high school and middle school. So um, writing is kind of a strong point for me, which is why I was the one chosen to write the script. And by chosen, I mean, I volunteered myself or was volunteered. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, what I was able to do was just try to make it as conversational as possible. So Lindsay, why do you think that summer camps are important to be reconsidered within the historical context? Um, this is actually part of my favorite part of Ollie's work was the discussion about what summer camps sort of stand for. Um, like I said, it is like a throwback to Americana, but it's sort of like, it's almost like its own kind of indoctrination in a way. You take kids and you put them in a place away from their parents and you give them an opportunity to share and grow. Um, but in the same vein, you're also teaching them to like, revere you know old time experiences which were not always great like for example a lot of the names that summer camps use for their like cabins and for their games and they take a lot from native american culture which isn't really ideal um so it kind of in the same way that it gives you an awesome space to sort of like grow and and have a safe space away from your parents, it can also sort of change um, change your view of things. And I think that it's important to talk about that. And I think it's important to mention that even though this was something that was meant to be uh, great. And I also think it was important to talk about in Ollie's research, how she mentioned that originally summer camp started out as a place for poor people and uh, poor children in the inner cities and it eventually just became this sort of like at least in my experience you only really went to summer camp if you had money or you got a scholarship to it which in some people some people got to do that um i never did but it did sort of seem it, i thought it was just interesting its evolution from something that was meant for lower income people to something that's really just kind of a an indication of wealth because people can't afford to send their kids off to summer camp unless they have money like, I don't know about you, but I stayed with my grandma every day because it was free. <laughs> right, right. No, no, no. I did. I definitely did not grow up in a in a, a place of wealth. So I, yeah, no. And I always, I always thought of of summer camps myself as being a place of your, you know, middle class, upper middle class. You know, their parents send you out for you know three weeks to a month or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, I definitely like that that feeling or that that kind of general uh, shift. It's definitely something that, you know, myself as an adult, in, we're, you know, we're practically in the same age range. You know, I feel that very much too, or I noticed that in, in myself. Um, well, awesome. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on here, answering questions about the script writing process and also about the research. So we appreciate you uh, stepping in for Ollie and being willing to do that. That concludes this episode of Through New Eyes, Reimagining History. Special thanks to our podcasters. In addition, we would like to thank Dr. Joseph Schrammick, our faculty advisor. Project coordinator, Jody Salazar. Assistant project coordinator, Joshua Cannon. Theme song composer, Anise Coopwood. And our mentors, George Hunt, Deanna McGuckin, Lydia Penzel, and Jody Salazar. Please join us next time for another episode of Through New Eyes, Reimagining History.